Wow. We get to gather again. Is that amazing? And and last time we got together was fall and now it's spring. It's like a whole new season. Winter. Oh, winter. Sorry. I don't even know which ones we were in. So, each one of these seasons is an indication of God's moving in this world and we have to watch him work from season to season. And uh, hopefully they follow in order with winter to spring. That's good. So we've got an opportunity again to look at the ancient words, find out what it is that God is communicating and what he is doing. He's doing that in the world around us. Uh, signs are there, the signs of new life as spring is upon us. And we get to see the grass greening and the flowers blooming, trees budding. Things are happening, so we know that this is the time as God is revealing himself in that way. And it's a reminder every year of his hand on this planet and in our lives. Sometimes he's going to give communication in other ways, and he often does that through uh, prophets and people who are going to communicate. He speaks to them, and then they communicate what he said to other people. So we get a combination of different things going on here from God above through his, his people, and he's working in history, he's working among nations, he's working in, in individuals and groups. It's just an amazing combination that he is able to com- accomplish so much, and he doesn't get confused, he doesn't lose track, and he's moving this properly in the direction he wants. So we're going to look at Jubilees and Trumpets in this series on God's Signs. And Jubilees and Trumpets will take us through more of what he is doing, what he's done in the past, but more of what he's doing today, what he's done in our time. So here's some prep just to give you some background and to know that God does this in his timing, in his way, from Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. The Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. So God's at work, and in times of Amos, he's he's dealing with the people of Israel, and he's giving them specific information. And the prophets may be speaking to something that's going to happen in the next moment, It may be the next week, it may be in the next few years, and it may be in hundreds of years. So they have a message from God, but it may not always be exactly in that moment. Sometimes the message that they give applies to that time or within that time, within a year, but it also may be a thousand years to another fulfillment of that same prophecy. And he, and he is communicating in ways that it can be fulfilled in a multitude of different uh, times and, and still be accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. And it would be awesome if we could speak things that we knew would be relevant now and relevant in 100 years, but yeah, probably not. But he does. And so he's spoken to the prophets things that were going on 800 years before Christ, and then at the time of Christ, and then we're seeing things that are happening in our time. So the prophets play a part. Here's God's prophets. He will give them the word 
He will communicate to them in some fashion. And that can be uh, spoken. It can be spoken audible terms to them. It may be revealed in a vision. It may be revealed in an internal uh, voice. He is going to communicate to these prophets in various ways. Sometimes he just writes it out like he did for Moses on stone. So it can come in different ways. But he communicates the word. The prophets then proclaim it, and they make that known. They may write it down. They may speak it. They may speak it to an individual. They may speak it to a group. They may proclaim it from the hilltop. It will be communicated in some form or fashion. So the word is received by the prophet, proclaimed, and then God fulfills his word. He doesn't send his word out, and it comes up void and empty. He does what he says he'll do. He's getting that accomplished through uh, his prophets, or at least he's communicating it through his prophets, and then his power brings this thing about. So we, uh, let's see, let's look at jubilees and trumpets. So the the jubilee is a time, uh, a 50-year celebration, a cycle that God had instituted, and it is to bring about a uh, a time of return and a time of rejuvenation. It's a different season. So there's a 50-year cycle. Uh, seven sevens, seven times seven, come to 49. And so the, this this is sabbatical years, and seven a set of sabbatical years. And then that next year you get a, a jubilee. The jubilee is a year in Israel, the way God had set this up, they would let the land lay fallow. The people who originally owned that land could return to it. That was their home. They can lease it, sell it, whatever, in the interim. And sometimes that's what they did. But they had there were, there were ways to figure out how much that land would be cost because if somebody bought it in the 45th year, they were only going to get it for a few years, own that land or that house, vineyard, whatever, and then they have to return it to the original owners. So God has got this cycle of returning it back to the original owners, returning it back to its original shape so it's left natural. He provides an abundant crop, bumper crop before that so that the people all have enough food to last and live through that whole period of time. He takes care of them. So that the 50-year uh, jubilee comes around. The, the jubilee is... The, the word that's used is a Hebrew word, that, and we say jubilee, but it's, it's a word they use for trumpet. So the trumpets are blown, the shofar, the ram's horn, is blown at the time of jubilee and to, to celebrate, to designate this is the time. This is when it all goes back and God is going to do something great with all of this and with all the people who are listening to him. They didn't always listen, and some things have happened as a result, but God still accomplishes his purposes, and he's working in these, in and through these jubilees over, over time. And it's just, it's just amazing to watch how this comes together. So we have a 50-year celebration of the return of ownership, and we're coming back, the coming back idea. We have the return of Israel. 
We have the return of the people, the return of the people to God. People were coming to God and, and returning to him, uh, the, returning to the land, the actual land, the land of Canaan, the land of Palestine, the land that he had given them, or returning to that land. Uh, return to the capital, Jerusalem, the ancient capital of Israel. Got that happening. A return of scripture, of the the words of the prophets, the words of truth, the words, the ancient words have come back. And God is at work, and he's bringing about all of these things in these in these 50-year cycles that just makes it even more interesting. So watch the fig tree. Watch the fig tree. Matthew 24, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. So we watch that. We're we're watching the, the budding of the fig tree representing Israel. So we want to keep our eyes on Israel. What is God doing? What is... Where are we, according to the words of the prophets that God has revealed these things to, where are we in the process? And God is at work. So what have we seen of the fig tree? The return of the people of Israel. 1867, we saw the Messianic revival. And they had their first gathering, large gathering in London, 1867. 1897, the Zionist Congress. Something else that was coming together as the Jewish people were recognizing that they, uh, it was time to return to the land, to actually get back in the land, establish a homeland for Israel in its old location, in its original location. So the first of that, 1897. And Theodore Herzl announced that this was it, that this was the founding of Israel. 1917, the Balfour Declaration. So Great Britain has come in after World War I, Ottoman Empire after hundreds of years of running things in, in Palestine, has lost, and they lost their authority over the country, and the United Kingdom, Great Britain, has taken over. And the declaration is made to let the people return. And that's about four declaration given in 1917, which is 50 years from 1867, when Israel was scouted out by the stranger, Mark Twain, when the city was being measured, first found the ancient city of Jerusalem was found beneath the streets of, at that time, modern Jerusalem. And they found the actual city and measured it, 1867. Fifty years later, 1917, Balfour Declaration, let the people go. Somebody's got to turn them loose. So we got that. 1897, the Zionist Congress. 1947, Israel approved by the UN that they could actually have a nation, that they would have a land, their own. They would be sovereign. They would run it. The UN voted in favor of that happening. So, 1897 to 1947, 50 years. Got another cycle. And 1947, we are dealing with Scripture. 
We have another thing happening here. These are the ancient words. The ancient words. In 1947, a shepherd boy walking, chasing sheep and goats through the hills, is throwing rocks in caves, and he hears a thunk, and he goes to investigate. He finds a pot inside there, and inside those pots are scrolls, ancient scrolls. And he takes them out and takes them home, and they begin to get distributed. And before long, it's found out that those are the Bible. Found out that Dead Sea Scrolls were in these pots, in these caves. What year? 1947. So now we have the Scripture. We have the land. We have the people. Things are beginning to come together. The greatest find, archaeological find in the 20th century is said to have been the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we have the Bible, which was this copy, much of it was even 200 years before Christ. And then into his day that these documents that they found compared with the Old Testament copies that we had in 1947, and the Masoretic text, which was a thousand years, uh, thousand A.D. about, so we're a thousand years into this thing, uh, and they compared them, and there they are, just like they were written. And you go, wow, weren't there a lot of people saying, you know, the Bible's been translated so many times, we really don't know what it really said in the first place? Well, lo and behold, yes, we do. And the Dead Sea Scrolls said, these are the ancient words. So we have those words, we have the people, we have the land. Things are beginning to happen. Do you see any budding happen, happening here? And we're seeing Israel take off in a whole new way. Israel becomes a nation, May 14th, 1948. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Whoever heard of such a thing, has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pangs begin, her children will be born. In a day, the British moved out, the British army moves out, and they hand the key over to the people of Israel, and the land is established Israel becomes, becomes a country in a day. Remember that, May 14th, 1948. That changes things. Things are beginning to take off. We have the land and a portion of it because they only had a small part. There were ele- uh, different elements, the, the countries around them, uh, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Others did not want them to have the land. They were opposed to this whole idea. And they didn't want them to have much of it. But they they have a portion when it starts out. And as soon as they move in, they're attacked by the lands around them. And the war is on. And the battles are are just intense for, for these people, just trying to hang on to something that God has made possible. But God is with them, and they keep keep winning. They're a tiny group of people in a tiny little land, and they keep winning. So they, they win that, which is pretty impressive. They don't have the capital. They, they don't have Jerusalem. 
as as their place to has the capital hasn't been returned. They have the land or they have some land in the original spot, but they don't have Jerusalem at this point. So, strangely enough, the USSR, the Soviet Union, decide, decided to send out some information to their Arab neighbors. Uh, so, you know, they're set up there in 1947. They move in in 1948. They still don't have their capital. The Soviets decide to stir the pot, so they send out this thing to the surrounding Arab nations that Israel is about to attack them. As a result, Egypt and surrounding lands decide, you know what, we're not, gonna, we're, we're not putting up with that. So they get their armies together and they start rolling tanks up to the borders and Israel sees what's going on and they say, well, we've got we to gotta act. We've got to get ready. Things are about to happen. And they gear up and then in June of 1967, we have an outbreak, and the war is on. Uh, Jordan was holding back, not really jumping in there, but then all of a sudden they got pressured, and they decided, and they had, they had uh, the guardianship sort of of Jerusalem, so they had the, the city, the capital city under their control, and they now have jumped in with the other Arab countries, Egypt being a major player in this. And in they come. Israel is victorious over the Arab nations, wins Jerusalem in the Six-Day War, June 5th through 10th, 1967. Pushes them back, overwhelms the Arab nations, supplied by the Soviet Union with weapons and tanks. And how does a little country pull that off? And, wow, amazing thing, 50-year increment. They moved into Jerusalem and said, we will never leave it again in 1967. This is our capital, and we're not going anywhere. So they've got the land back. And remember, they've not been in control since even before the Romans, they had the land of Israel, but Rome was the empire controlling them. Jerusalem was their capital, but Rome still had. But since the time of Rome, 70 A.D., when, when Jerusalem fell, this, this has been in the hands of the Gentiles. Israel hasn't owned these things. Now... They own the country and they're given the keys in 1948. They have got their capital back in 1967. If Jordan hadn't gotten pulled into this, they still wouldn't have gotten the capital because that was under their realm or their guardianship. So as a result of them jumping into this, and then when the battle took off, they, they earned it. They got it back. And now they have the Western Wall. If you see some of those old pictures from 1967, they're at the Temple Mount. They take over that area and they allow the Muslims to continue at the mosque. They allow other Christians who come to worship. They opened it up to a place of worship. They didn't shut it all down. Others haven't always been so kind. They opened it up. 
People can come and pray, come and pray at the Western Wall. Now, the, the Temple Mount specific, the Muslims have there's some specific rules on some of that, but that's that's a whole different thing. But the the overall control, the capital. The land is theirs. The people are there. They're coming back now from all over. People are coming from Russia. You've seen those probably ads on TV where the flights are bringing people from all these lands. And, the, and especially after World War II, as people really felt sorry for them. The reason the vote worked in 1947 with the UN, there's influence by, by Truman to, to open this up, and he saw the value of it. But also people were sympathetic to the Jewish cause in 1947. They were also sympathetic to the Jewish cause in 1917 after World War I. And they saw, man, you've been through these rough times. And, you know, here's the land and it's opening up. And the Ottomans have been pushed back. And this is ancient, your, your ancient land and all those things. So there was some, some softening of hearts. And soon after the, that window opens, it slams shut. Same thing, it slams shut after World War I. You know what happened between World War I and World War II? Hitler and Stalin had killed millions of Jewish people in the interim because that window closed. And then World War II, and then the world saw what happened to them. As a result, the window opens, the vote's taken at the UN. It wins. The country is established. Shortly after that, window shuts. They win the war in 1967. Usually the UN and everybody else is going, Israel. it's Israel's fault that anything happens. They get bombs. They get people shooting missiles at them. If they retaliate, then it's Israel. Israel's fault. And you can watch that on the news pretty much every night. But God is at work. 1947, 1948, 1967, we're seeing this thing developed. 50-year increments. 1897, 1947, a country for Israel and Palestine with its scripture, people, and land. 1917, 1967, the old capital of Israel regained. Another aspect of all of this is that the USA is blessed. Great Britain was blessed when it was supporting what was going on with Israel. Strangely enough, not that they didn't have other things going on and their economy was good and they, the empire was growing and developing. But then they sort of, that window closed and they sort of turned their back on Israel. Somebody else took over. And the U.S. all of a sudden is in a prime spot because the USA is blessed. Numbers 24.9 says, Like a lion, Israel crouches and lies down. Like a lioness... Who dares to arouse her? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. And all of a sudden, the U.S. has blessed. Blessed in, in a variety of ways, but the U.S. has been a friend to Israel since the get-go. But through all of this, through all of these uh, amazing events happening in the 20th century, the U.S. has been central in seeing all those things come together. So let's get a little closer. The Jerusalem Declaration. Listen to these words from that de- declaration. 
Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim that the United States recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. Fifty years from 1967 to 2017. No one, no nation, no sovereign nation, no major power had recognized Jerusalem as capital. No other capital in the world has been denied its authority. If they say, we're going to make Bangkok the capital, if we're going to make London the capital, nobody goes, well, no, no, no. We think it should be Knoxville. And we just come up with, no, we're, no, we're just not going to recognize the fact that you said that's your capital. But they do it to Israel. That tell you anything? The world does it to Israel. One country out of all the countries in the world, we're not going to recognize it. And then, in 2017, it's recognized by the major power in the world. They have their capital. It is recognized as the capital. They have the authority of a capital with sovereignty in this world in ways they haven't for over 2,000 years. That's in your time. And God is bringing it about. And we're blessed. But we just had a pandemic. So did everybody else. We came up with some uh, vaccines. We're still doing okay. Y'all still have microwaves and cars, right? You're suffering for Jesus. God is at work. He's taking care of you. The nation is still blessed. And you better hope, you better vote in ways that support Israel. Because if that starts happening, going another way. And there are people in Congress right now who really do not want to support Israel. That would not be a good idea. do hereby proclaim that the United States recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. It changes so many things. So Jesus leaves. Back when he had spent his time here and he had died on the cross, rose, and he spent 40 days visiting and interacting with his disciples. And then he departs. And he is on the Mount of Olives outside of the city of Jerusalem. And they are there with him. And then he, as you know, rises into the sky, departs. So, Acts 1-9, Jesus leaves. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him because he goes up into the clouds. So he's, Jesus is flying off of the... Mount of Olives, and disappears. And a jubilee is about God bringing things back. It's a time when God is restoring, when the original owner is given back his property. So whose property is Israel really? It's God's. Whose capital 
will the king actually have? Jerusalem. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus returns. Zechariah 14.4, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. He will return and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives because that is the return, the restoration. His capital, his land, his people, fulfilling his word that he gave to the prophets because he is still accomplishing his purposes and he has not yet failed. He is still at work. King Cyrus, Isaiah 44, verse 28, When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. So the establishment of the land, the establishment, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and, and all those things, we haven't seen all of it happen, but have you seen some budding of the fig tree? And that gives us an idea of the season, the season when Jesus will return. He can do it whenever he wants, but we're in a season, and it is close. And he has given his word that he will return. And Jesus will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And we will rejoice when he takes over his seat on his throne in heaven and in Jerusalem. And we get to enjoy and rejoice with all the others who are through the centuries been part of this. So he gave his ancient words to the prophets. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. And when we look back, we can see that's what he's done. So what might he do in your life? If he's spoken his word in your life, what have you to fear? Why do your anxieties rise? If he has spoken and he does not lie, then you have someone to hold on to. And when he says, I'm coming back, my feet will touch the Mount of Olives they surely will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the words you've given to the prophets through the years, through the centuries, that you have kept them, even hid them in jars and caves that they might be found again, even that way. Thank you for getting Israel back into the land. Jerusalem returned to them as their capital. Thank you for the number of uh, Jewish people coming to know you, uh, recognizing you as their Messiah. Thank you for the things you are doing that, that blesses all of us because you said through Abraham, all of us around the world would be blessed. And indeed we are. Thank you for Jesus, his sacrifice, the meaning of these days when we remember uh, the days leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. There are so many things that you've accomplished. And uh, thank you for the promise that you will be back. And this is not done yet. We're just in the process. Keep us strong. Keep our eyes on you, on you and help us to stand firm. In Jesus' name, amen.